They say that one of the differences between cheap wine and fine wine is the amount of pruning done. The more a vine is pruned, the more energy of the plant is concentrated in the remaining clusters. Of course, that means less total volume from the vineyard, which is one of the reasons why fine wine costs more. Pruning is essential. In John's Gospel, the metaphor of a well-pruned, fruitful vine is employed to help us understand the process of living the life of a follower of Jesus, or disciple, as Jesus calls it. The goal is fruitfulness. People grow plants for different reasons. Some plants are grown for shade. Others, like flowers, just for the pleasure we get at looking at them. Some are grown to produce consumable fruit. This metaphor of the vine teaches us that we're not meant to be passive shade providers, nor are we passive nice-to-look-at people. We have a mission. We are to produce fruit. We are here not for ourselves, but to make life better than it would have been had we not been here producing fruit for others. John's Gospel is the most mystical of our four canonical Gospels, which is why the theme of union with God is so prominent. John's Gospel expresses the understandings of a community of Christians who are seeking to be faithful and fruitful to the Gospel, that is, to the message of the Kingdom of God that Jesus taught. This community learned that the way to be successful at bearing fruit is found in a solid, enduring connection with God. In the metaphor, the branch that wants to bear fruit has to be connected solidly and continually to the vine. God is the vine. God is our source. God's spirit is the energy within us that produces the fruit that we bear that makes a difference in the world. Staying connected, or as it says in the older version, abiding, is what we seek to do. Staying connected is the reason for the spiritual disciplines we engage in. As we meditate, as we pray, as we gather for worship and study, as we practice generosity and service, we are strengthening our connection to the source. John uses the language of hyperbole as Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. We also know that even in groups that are Christian, fruitfulness depends on being deeply connected to the source. Even groups with high ideals like feeding the poor or peacemaking can become toxic if the individuals within the group have unchecked egos. But where groups practice the spiritual disciplines of staying connected, great work can be done, work that makes a difference. However, we are human. We are prone to falling into unhelpful patterns of living. We're prone to passively accepting the status quo. We're prone to judging. We're prone to withholding forgiveness. We're prone to scapegoating and all kinds of unhelpful behaviors. Even while trying to stay connected to the vine, we can develop dead wood. So, the pruning process is important. John uses the exaggerated metaphor of burning to describe what happens to the dead wood. It's simply not useful, so it gets disposed in the fire and forgotten. Life itself often involves a pruning process. Many people have noticed that we tend to cycle through three stages in life. Richard Rohr calls them order, disorder, and reorder. 
the theologian Walter Brueggemann names them orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. First, things seem to be going okay. Then a change comes. Our plans get upset by unforeseen circumstances. We become disordered or disoriented by a calamity in our jobs or health or relationships. Our worlds fall apart. Maybe the pandemic has been a disordering and disorienting time for you. These are pruning times. They are the times for reassessment. They are the times to awaken from slumber and become newly aware of what's happening. We ask, how did I or how did we get here? We ask ourselves, how did I contribute to this? What dead wood do I need to have pruned? What dead ends do I need to examine? This process of order, disorder, and reorder is a continual cycle for each individual. It's also a cycle that groups go through. The church goes through cycles like this, both the church as a whole and individual congregations. Nations go through these cycles too. The disorienting pruning process is not easy, but it is necessary if we are to bear fruit. As I was considering this process, I was reminded of the story of Reverend John Rankin, a Presbyterian minister in the Jefferson County Presbyterian Church in Tennessee. Reverend Rankin's life bore great fruit that made life better for countless people, but he also knew times of pruning disorientation. He was a strong abolitionist. He spoke against all forms of oppression, especially against slavery. His bio says that he was one of the founders of the Tennessee Manumission Society in 1815. But he was shocked when his elders responded by telling him that he should consider leaving Tennessee if he intended ever to oppose slavery from the pulpit again. So he left Tennessee for Ripley, Ohio, a town on the banks of the Ohio River, and from there he preached against the evils of slavery. But he did more than preach. His brother, Thomas, was a merchant in Virginia. Reverend Rankin learned that Thomas had purchased some slaves. So he wrote a series of letters to his brother, arguing point by point why slavery was immoral and unacceptable for Christians and must be abolished nationally. His letters were published in a local paper and influenced many, including his brother, to free their slaves and join the anti-slavery movement. Reverend Rankin endured much opposition. His house became the target of attacks. Rocks were thrown through the windows. So, Reverend Rankin moved his wife and 13 children to a house on the top of a hill overlooking the Ohio River. He did more than merely preach and write against the immorality of slavery. At the top of that hill, they erected a flagpole on which, at night, they hoisted a lantern. It helped guide the many runaway slaves across the river from Kentucky. He was, in other words, an early station on the Underground Railroad. There were times in which he had 10 runaway slaves along with his 13 children in his home for the night. It was difficult. It required sacrifice. It produced opposition. But the fruit that he bore changed lives. In one of his letters to his brother, he recounts one of those changed lives. The letter says this, The Reverend John Gloucester, pastor of an African church in the city of Philadelphia, passed a considerable part of his life in slavery. Yet, 
After his liberation, he became an able and useful minister of the gospel. Rankins writes, His piety and talents recommended him to the benevolence of the Union Presbytery, East Tennessee, by whose generous exertions he, with his wife and children, were liberated from bondage, and he educated and afterward spent apart, set apart for the gospel ministry. And though he spent in servitude, the part, the part of life in which the powers of the mind are most susceptible of improvement, yet the strength of his mind was such as enabled him to soon acquire so considerable a fund of knowledge as rendered him a useful and acceptable preacher, both to the white and black inhabitants of Philadelphia. Rankin says, He possessed, as we believe, the confidence and esteem of his brethren in the ministry, some of whom were among the most eminent in our nation for piety, talents, and literature. Had it not been for the benevolence of the Union Presbytery, Rankin writes, this man, amiable as he was in the possession of the strongest powers of mind and all the fine sensibilities of our nature, ornamented and improved by the renovating influence of divine grace, must have worn throughout his life the yoke of cruel and unjust bondage. So Rankin writes, He is now released from all his labors and suffering. And though here he was covered with a sable skin and once poor, dejected, and a despised slave, we have reason to believe that he will shine forever as a bright star in the firmament of eternal glory. Who would not remove the chains that bound such a man? It was the union Presbytery of East Tennessee, in spite of being in a slave state whose exertions emancipated from slavery Reverend Gloucester and his family. They and the faithful people like Reverend Rankin will be remembered for the good fruit they bore, even as others resisted. The third step in the cycle after order and disorder is reorder. With the experience and wisdom gained in the pruning process of disorder, a new time of reordered fruitfulness can emerge. You've probably seen this play out in your own life. After the calamity, some new opportunity is born. A new time of fruitfulness blossoms. The question for us is, what is the fruit that is needed in our times? What conditions of disorder do we observe? Who are the people who are suffering, hoping someone's fruitfulness will bless them? As Reverend Rankin blessed so many, what will history remember us for? Let us be remembered for being people who stayed connected to the true vine, people committed to the mission and ministry of Jesus, people empowered by the Spirit, to bear the fruit of that vine for the hunger of our world.